3: Molly, it's Ezra here. I am from Melbourne, Australia. I've left you some voicemails in the past when I was having a really, really hard time. And I just wanted to update you, I guess. I'm not a premium submarine yet, but I've been listening to your podcast for about a year. I wish i could subscribe but i am a very (laughs) broke person who is unwell and unable to work right now but I, i appreciate your work so much you have literally saved my life i just want you to know that i have been listening to the shame series and it's really made some of the pieces um fall into place that i didn't really know how to fit in with the whole story of um, my history of trauma and how it impacts me these days. And I really feel like I'm starting to turn a corner in a way that I I really didn't think was possible. I really thought that I was like, gonna be a mess for the rest of my life. And I'm kind of not right now, even though things are really kind of tough. Um, In ways that i can't really control and that's usually been like a pretty difficult thing for me to accept in the past um my lack of control over all of life um and yeah your podcast has helped me to come to a place of acceptance and i love you for that thank you
2: hi molly my name is ally i am 32 from pennsylvania and i am a premium submarine um, I just finished listening to the Unmet Childhood Needs episode from your shame series, and I just wanted to thank you. Um, the, the whole episode, it, it really, um, it hit home for me. And when you were talking about the internalized shame um, and masking, I... It made me realize I, I think I became shame a long time ago because I um I didn't realize, but I've been masking for a big portion of my life until I was diagnosed a few years ago, and um, I've been on a journey since then. And I, uh, I have a wonderful partner of six years, and I don't want to ruin it. And um, I, then I found your podcast and um, yeah, this episode really, really helped. Um, so thank you so much. I love your podcast. Thank you.
4: Hi, Molly. My name is Chelsea. I'm 24. I'm calling from Nashville. I was listening to your seventh episode on toxic shame and I resonated with everyone's voice notes at the beginning think a lot of what everyone said, just combined in one way or another, pretty much makes up my story. Um, being in and out of inpatient in the past year, being 24, and resonating with borderline tendencies and getting diagnosed and also feeling very undeserving of anything good, um, hurting so much inside and not knowing if healing was in the cards. Um, As much as I've been working on it in therapy and all, um, I just feel really, really seen um, hearing these voice notes, so um, thank you, everyone. And thank you so much, Molly, for the work you've put into this podcast, especially this series on toxic shame. That has taught me so much about myself and about the other people in my life, how much we're all hurting. The series has been incredibly healing understanding how deep things run in our families and in ourselves, I imagine is going to be so helpful in this process that is getting through life more than we might realize right now. So thank you. Hi, Molly.
5: This is premium submarine Claire coming to you live from a porch swing in Bolton, Mississippi. And I just wanted to come on to share a recent experience I had that you helped me through that I also think is a perfect metaphor for toxic shame I'm 26 and just last month went to the dentist for the first time since I was 10 years old had a mouthful of cavities had to get a root canal (laughs) but I was so scared for so long to let anyone see those rotting parts of me I was so scared to ask for help for fear of being judged and you really helped me face that shame And so I went to the dentist and I got my teeth fixed and I feel so proud of myself and I feel so thankful that the universe sent me this podcast (laughs) because you've helped me so, so much. And I know you're helping so many people with so much love from the bottom of my heart. I thank you for that. And
0: yeah, just keep doing you. Hello everyone and welcome to Back From The Borderline. I'm your host, Molly, and I don't want to talk to your personality, I want to talk to your soul. The idea of alchemy is to reduce something with fire, burning it down so that something new can rise from the ashes. You can do this with your personality too. You can perform emotional alchemy. You've always had the power You just didn't know that and now you do from chaos comes clarity through working with and integrating the concepts that we'll explore together you'll emerge transformed standing in the ashes of the person you used to be i want to start by thanking ezra ali chelsea and claire for your beautiful voicemails i received an outpouring of voicemails from listeners sharing the profound impact that the toxic shame series had on them. And you'll be hearing a few more of them over the coming weeks. And yet again, I hope that by hearing these voicemails, and I've received this feedback so much in emails and even voicemails themselves, of hearing the voicemails helps you feel less alone because you know there are people out there going through the same thing. And through our exploration of toxic shame and now our continuation into understanding the scapegoat role, part of what makes the pain so deep is the isolation, feeling like you are the only defective one. We hear Ezra say that it's helping The pieces fall together for him. He's starting to have these epiphanies. And with Ali, she is terrified that she's going to ruin a good thing. And hopefully, Ali, through this scapegoat episode and the toxic shame series, you're understanding that it makes perfect sense that you have these feelings of thinking you're going to ruin it. That somehow you're the problem. And that always things are going to be on the brink of collapse and with Chelsea struggling with being in and out of inpatient treatment and resonating with borderline tendencies and feeling undeserving of anything good and you hear this so often with those of us who struggle with these issues of unmet childhood needs toxic shame and scapegoating abuse not knowing if healing is in the cards for you thinking that I'm the exception. I'm the one that's so fucked up and broken that I'm beyond help. And with Claire, such a beautiful and just heartbreaking example of how we can even start neglecting our basic needs and basic self-care because of this internalized toxic shame. And Claire, I'm so proud of you for taking that brave step and going to the dentist because not only is it expensive and uncomfortable, nobody likes going to the dentist. It is, it can feel like, wow, I neglected myself for so long. Are these people going to judge me? And it's my hope that you found a clinic where they welcomed you with open arms and are there to help you. And you could just hear it in your voice of how proud you are of yourself. And you should be proud of yourself because my friend's it's the little wins that are actually big wins. We might think, oh, going to the dentist is no big deal. That's huge. It's an action that you're taking that tells yourself that you care about you and that you are gonna step in and be your own good enough parent. Because here's the thing, while the past is in the past and we have to go back through it to make sense of it all, Here we are, as adults, standing on our own two feet, and we have to figure out a path forward. We have to learn to recognize the shit that was put on us, the projections that were dumped into us, like little child trash cans by caregivers who were also suffering, who were raised by caregivers who were also suffering, and say, this doesn't belong to me anymore. But to be able to do that, we have to understand which parts don't belong to us, which parts are truly us. And that's a difficult process to undergo. And that's why we're exploring it together. So we're going to be moving into part two of our exploration of the dysfunctional and toxic family dynamics and how it relates to the scapegoat role. And if you haven't yet listened to part one, it is essential that you go back and listen to that first because part one is going to give you all of the background because today we're going to be moving into part two of our discussion of the family scapegoat role and the impact it can have on us as adults and just as toxic shame can be the root and resulting cause being scapegoated may have been what kind of teed up all of this inherent toxic shame that you might be experiencing. It's my belief that the last few months of this podcast, I'm really starting to circle around some of our core wounds. We've talked about the mother and father wound, we've talked about toxic shame, and now we're talking about scapegoating. And I really think that many of us who find ourselves identifying with Huge, big feelings struggle with self-sabotaging behaviors, patterns of addiction, maybe oscillating between hypersexuality and sexual repulsion. If you feel like you're too much, too needy, too emotional, if you've always been labeled the dysfunctional or problematic one in your family, I think you will find understanding, and healing in this series. So without further ado, let's jump into part two. All right, everyone, we're back. Just a quick heads up. Right now, where I'm recording, our house is surrounded by so many different houses and there are a bunch of people doing lawn work for some reason. I've been trying to wait to record till it's all finished, but it sounds like it's never going to stop. So if you hear the low whir of a lawnmower in the background, I apologize. Or if you hear the cicadas start to act up and be incredibly fucking loud, I also apologize for that. But the show must go on. I have some pretty good post-production tools that I use to try to cut background noise so you may hear nothing but on the off chance that you do I apologize. So we're back for part two of this exploration of the scapegoat role in dysfunctional family systems. In part one we really laid some good groundwork and now what we're doing in part two is exploring this further and we're just going to go through some different experiences that paint a picture of what scapegoating in a dysfunctional family system actually looks like so that you can start making some connection points to discover if this is something that you went through. So in a similar way to narcissistic abuse, this type of abuse, this psycho-emotional abuse that's involved with scapegoating in families is not listed in the diagnostic criteria in the current DSM. And for those of you that aren't aware, the DSM is pretty much psychiatry's Bible. The DSM stands for the Diagnostic Statistical Manual of Mental Health Disorders. The idea of scapegoating abuse and the scapegoat family role and the debilitating symptoms that come from enduring this kind of abuse that's very sneaky, insidious abuse isn't even formally taught in therapeutic training or in practice. So that's why if you identify with this and you are currently in therapy, this is something that could be great to bring up to your therapeutic practitioner. Most therapists are really open-minded and this could really give some meat to your own therapy sessions and if you don't happen to be in therapy because you either can't afford it which is a very common thing or you are preferring to take your own path and pursue self-healing of these things that's okay too it's my hope that this episode can really help you just explore this a little bit deeper and i encourage you if you resonate with something write it down A really good way to move through some of this material is if you hear something that I say that like sparks something in you, if you get a gut feeling, if something pulls within you that you say, hmm, something's there, pause the podcast and jot down what comes up for you, because these are really good inroads to your own path towards healing. Don't ignore them. Part of what this recovery process looks like for us is reconnecting with your gut instinct, reconnecting with your own voice, with your own feelings. Because part of being in the scapegoat role for so long is having what you know to be true and things that you know to be wrong, to be pushed out of you, to be psychologically manipulated out of you. And so this is a process by which you can reconnect to that inner wisdom inside of you, because it's still there. It's just a sense that you've lost touch with and you can reconnect with it. What will happen next is I'm going to ask you a series of questions and I want you to answer in your mind yes or no to these things. And if you find yourself hard relating to a lot of these things and answering yes in your own inner narrative as you listen along, it is highly likely that you endured the psycho-emotional abuse of being placed in the scapegoat role in your dysfunctional family system. It's incredibly common for individuals who have been scapegoated to be misdiagnosed with what we call mental health conditions or disorders, like BPD or histrionic personality disorder, one of the most, in my opinion, sexist, awful trash can diagnoses in existence. Um, even dissociative identity disorder, anxiety disorder, major depression, or even now what's coming up more and more as CPTSD or complex post-traumatic stress disorder. We are in a time where mental health and the way we view disorder labels is changing massively. Just as recently as 2022, we're living this history right now, we're witnessing it happen, the World Health Organization added CPTSD as a billable and insurable diagnosis internationally and it is now included in the ICD-11. The ICD is all the rest of the world's version of the DSM. So DSM, ICD, they're both manuals used to diagnose and treat health and mental disorders. Interestingly, CPTSD has still not been included in the dsm-5 so this is where you really start to see how political and weird and just not grounded in a lot of science and how there's so much infighting in psychiatry and this is why i have just kind of released the need to cling to any of these labels because right now we are witnessing psychiatry fighting about all of it. They want to throw out the BPD diagnosis entirely. They want to clump it in with CPTSD and on and on and on and on. So what we can do, all the rest of us who are just trying to heal and recover, let's just get to the root of it. Let's just stop seeing ourselves as disordered and dysfunctional and maybe just start saying, okay, we want to look at what happened to us, go back in the past as much as it can assist us, pick out what we can use from that, and then start to alchemize and transmute these things and find our voice now, reconnect with our true selves. So it's my hope that by listing out these things that if you hear yourself in them, this can be the beginning of your healing process. This might also be incredibly validating for you. Because if you've been labeled with some complex mental health disorder or a list of many disorders and you felt like the identified patient in your family for a very long time and you may be awakened to the fact that you may have been unconsciously or consciously scapegoated, you could feel very validated by this. But also be prepared for it to be difficult, really, really Painful feelings might come up as you start understanding this, so just be patient with yourself and give yourself a lot of grace as we move through these questions together. It's also important to note that even though in these questions we might refer to parents or caregivers, you can also be scapegoated by other people like siblings, peers, or or society at large. You can be scapegoated in work environments. So just keep that in mind. But for now, it's primarily gonna be focused the questions around the family system. Our first set of questions is gonna surround your childhood experience. So I just want you to take a deep breath in through your nose and out through your mouth and really try to reconnect with that childhood version of you. Maybe even if you're in a place where you can pull up a picture of yourself as a child and really gaze into that for a minute, pause the podcast, and then begin listening again, that could even be more profoundly impactful for how you will kind of reconnect with that inner child as we go through these questions. It's not necessary or required, but it's just an idea, and I always like my listeners to use my podcast in a creative way and adapt it to where you can even deepen these healing experiences while you listen. So thinking about your childhood experience, the answer to these questions is going to be a yes or no. Go with whatever your immediate gut reaction is. If you hear immediately yes in your mind, don't question it. Just move on to the next question. Do you believe That in your childhood, you weren't truly well cared for and nurtured within your family? Yes or no? Did you experience chronic stresses in your childhood? Did you have addicts in your family? Was there death, divorce, abandonment, and neglect? Yes or no? Do you feel like your parental figures neglected and abused you as a child? Have you ever had a parent say something to you similar to what was said to me when I was 15? The vibe of a comment like this would be, Life would just be so much easier if you weren't around. Or you are the cause of all the drama in our family. If you would just change, then everything would be better. Did you ever fantasize about wanting to run away from home or feel like you didn't belong in your home, that you just wanted to escape? Did you experience gaslighting in your home growing up? Did you have your intuitive nudges, your feelings, your sense of right or wrong regularly denied or completely shoved off or even attacked by the people who held the position of power in your home, which was your parents? Did you feel like you would drift off into fantasies and maybe some magical thinking, wishing that someone would rescue you and maybe your real parents would come and rescue you and take you away. Did you feel like your parents were invalidating of your needs, including your emotional needs? Did you feel like your parents singled you out and maybe treated you very differently than siblings or the other people in your family? Did you maybe feel like you didn't even exist to your parents? Or maybe you even fantasized about being able to disappear so you could no longer be the subject of their disdain. Did you ever feel or even just sense that your parents, or maybe even just one of your parents, just didn't like you, couldn't stand having you around? I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. Did you feel as a child this sense of being bad or toxically shamed like you just weren't good enough and couldn't measure up? Did maybe your parents or maybe even just one of your parents ever actively tell you that you were bad or too much or that something was deeply wrong with you? Did one or more of your parents ever say, if only you could be like dot dot dot. Maybe one of your siblings. Or if only you would do XYZ, insinuating that if you changed to be different than you truly were, then you might be deserving of their love. Was there an atmosphere in your home where you felt like you had to tiptoe around the explosive emotions of one or more of your parents? Maybe you felt like you had to walk around very carefully and change who you truly were, diminish the the boisterous and sensitive and creative beautiful child that you were so that you could be more palatable to your parents. Maybe one of them was authoritarian and explosive or maybe you had to tiptoe around a very depressed parent and you felt like you couldn't be happy and creative because they were depressed and you needed to tone down who you were so that you didn't upset them. Were you regularly bullied in Places like church or schools or regular groups that you engaged with as a child. Here's another interesting one. Maybe in hearing your own parents talk about their childhood, maybe one particular parent, you got the sense that they were scapegoated in their family. And maybe they were isolated as the bad child. I know that that was absolutely the case in my own family my dad was identified as the bad kid. And even though his brothers and sisters faced the incredibly abusive wrath of my alcoholic grandfather, who physically, violently physically abused his children, my dad was singled out as absolutely the scapegoat and the worst one and received the worst amount of treatment to the point where his older sister had to actively save his life a couple of times. The thing is, is that, When our parents go through something, sometimes they can unconsciously perpetuate that on another child. And that's absolutely what happened to me in my own home. Did your siblings or other members of your outside of your nuclear family consistently speak negatively about you and maybe repeat some of these incorrect and overblown scapegoated narratives perpetuated by your parents? When you attempted to talk to your parents or express your needs or bring up the fact that what was going on in your home was not just not okay did your parents instead of listening to you did they respond that you were too much overly emotional a liar did they gaslight you turn it around on you as a means to cover up their own projected abuse. Do you remember growing up maybe moments when you would witness your parents talking to other adults or maybe even other people in the community where they created a story where they were this suffering parent with a difficult child and that they were doing their best and that you were this just horrible, bad child, or even something like they're going through a phase, you know, very diminishing either way, whether or not they're actively demonizing you or saying, Oh, they, they're just such a difficult kid. You know, they're going through a phase. It's really hard on the family. Either way, the vibe is going to be that you're bad. They are the, the suffering wounded victim party. That's having to deal with a very, very difficult kid. Really think about these questions. If you identified with them, as I mentioned before, if you need to pause the podcast and write down some things that came up, feel free to do that. You could even, if you're working with a therapist, write down some of the things that you really identified with and bring that in in your next therapy appointment to discuss with your therapist one-on-one who really knows you and knows your background. We're going to move into a new series of questions and this is going to be different because what these questions are going to help you identify is, are you now as an adult suffering from the knock-on effects, after effects, side effects of being placed in this scapegoat role? One of my favorite quotes is, what we resist persists. And the thing about trauma like this, and it is trauma, psycho-emotional abuse is trauma. And it is trauma that's really sneaky that happens over a period of time when your sense of self is supposed to be developing freely. And so what happens is in adulthood, all of these things that you've had to endure And the arrested development that you have experienced is going to result in side effects in your adult life. Because when you were a child, you had to learn to adapt to these situations and these maladaptive behaviors and coping mechanisms that work to keep you safe as a child are now going to become exactly what keeps you stuck and sick and disconnected as an adult which is the devastating part of it. Because you're just repeating the behaviors that kept you safe as a kid, and now you're wondering why it's no longer working, and it's the only thing you know. So I'm gonna move through these questions. Please give yourself grace, be kind to yourself, because if you're experiencing a lot of these symptoms and side effects, it's really, really painful. And me just listing it off has no way of even encapsulating the pain and devastation that these kind of things can have on our lives. So the first question is, I want you to really tune in to yourself, how you are now. Think about your life now and what it's like for you. Do you feel like you are ever not present in your body? Do you feel like you are almost like living all in your head all the time? Do you feel like you're completely disconnected from your emotions until they explode on you? It's almost like you're numb, 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 and then you explode with sadness or depression or anger. It's like you're a pressure cooker. You keep everything under wraps until it just explodes. Do you struggle with... All the symptoms of some of these mental health disorders, like BPD or CPTSD? Do you struggle with anxiety and depression? Is it difficult for you to maintain and keep intimate connections that could be friendships or partners? Do you find that you are contemplating suicide or have you attempted suicide? And if you haven't, do you? find yourself just contemplating death because it's just it's too much and you you don't see the point do you feel deep down in your heart this sense of betrayal by your family members do you struggle with chronic feelings of emptiness and find that it Feels impossible for you to grasp onto a sense of meaning and purpose? Do you identify with a pervasive feeling of toxic shame, like something is wrong with you, that you are constantly feeling this overarching sense of feeling guilty or that you are to blame for something? Do you have a hard time trusting your own thoughts? Do you struggle with even understanding and trusting your own view of reality? Do you sense that even with groups of people, you almost look at other people who are just joining into groups and feeling included and just melding into the group and feeling like it's very alien to you? Maybe with groups, you sense this feeling of being an outcast, that you're somehow different, like an alien or like the group is somehow looking at you. It can also make you feel quite paranoid. Do you feel almost like you can't get over your relationship with either your mother or your father or both, that many people want you to just get over it, but somehow you just can't? Do you feel like you owe something to the people that raised you? That even though you know there was deep, deep psychological, emotional abuse, or maybe even covert sexual or physical abuse in your family system, you still feel obligated to your family that you feel like you owe them some kind of debt? Do you still feel intimidated and scared of one of your caregivers? Do you still feel like they are that authoritarian figure and feel frightened of them? Do you hold on to what's called in the CPTSD recovery community? Do you hold on to this magical thinking that one day in the magical future that your parents or caregiver will wake up and realize what they've done and call you and give you all the validation that you ever wanted? They've decided finally that you are deserving of all their care and love. Have you engaged in these fantasies? Have you thought that your recovery and your healing can only happen if that happens? Do you find that in your current relationships, whether that's with friendships or even intimate partnerships, that you can never feel quite secure that you're always thinking that they're going to hurt you or betray you or leave you and that you're doing this so much that you're even sabotaging these relationships. Has this behavior and the pattern of really kind of having this paranoid, so everyone's going to hurt me, everyone's going to treat me like my parents did, this attitude can also lead to you isolating yourself completely, withdrawing from other people. Does that resonate with you? Have you had to go to the extreme measure of having to go what's called no contact with one of your caregivers or another member of your family? Do you find it difficult to stand up for yourself or really express healthy anger. Sometimes expressions of healthy anger are good when your boundaries are being crossed. When someone crosses your boundary, do you have a really hard time standing up for yourself in a calm and assertive way without exploding in anger or completely withdrawing and fawning? Do you ever have fantasies of getting revenge on someone from your family? Do you engage in oversharing? And maybe you identify with symptoms of codependency and really, really seeking the validation of others. If you can't get the approval or validation or feel seen by other people, it almost feels like you don't exist. Do you suffer from imposter syndrome, right? Do you always feel like you're going to get caught out, that someone's going to find out that you aren't who you really say you are? if you felt yourself really resonating with a lot of this and that what I just listed mirrored your experience, it's a really high likelihood that you have been chronically scapegoated in your family system and it makes perfect sense why you would feel this way. It makes perfect sense why you would have a hard time trusting other people and feeling isolated and anxious and paranoid and hopeless. Next, we're going to be talking about some experiences that many uh, people who are placed in this dysfunctional scapegoat role in their family system go through. Obviously, these might not exactly mirror your experience, but it might give you just a little bit more meat on the bones of this conversation and just pay attention to how your body and Just inner self react to some of these experiences. People who are in the scapegoat role in their family system chronically in childhood often find that they identify with all the psychology material that's being put out. You go on Instagram, you just get barraged with content, right? You might find yourself drawn to recovery materials for codependency. You might identify with the HSP label, like the highly sensitive person or an empath. Also, you might identify with people pleasing behaviors and have a really difficult time setting boundaries. So you might find yourself drawn to this content of how do I set boundaries with people? Because you feel like you are constantly being disrespected and violated, but you don't know why it keeps happening. And this is very, very common to individuals who have been chronically scapegoated. The scapegoat family members are often told over and over and over again in childhood that they are not loving, that they are disrespectful, too much, dramatic, crazy, you know, selfish, and they're just chronically, chronically shamed. And this is usually done by the parent that is the main scapegoater, the controller of the power in the family. And doing this to you was an attempt to shove you down. When you tried to express your genuine feelings, you were met with these attacks. And because of that, you learned at a very young age that you needed to be really, really careful about revealing your true feelings and expressing your feelings in the authentic way that they just come out of you. And so when you have to repress these feelings and shove them down, your natural way of responding, this means when we shove feelings down, it's very, very common for what to be next to happen is for addictive behaviors to start happening like in episode one when I talked to you about how I started quote-unquote acting out you see teenagers start getting mixed up in drugs and alcohol or shoplifting like me or becoming hypersexual it's because there's no way to put these huge feelings back in the box we can't express them in an authentic way so they have to find outlets in other shadowy ways now Maybe you would say, I didn't do any of that. I didn't act out. Maybe you struggled with chronic illness. For me, this also happened. I had chronic strep throat as a child, chronically got sick. I was on antibiotics so often as a kid. I regularly experienced hives and really, really reactive skin. And I notice now as an adult, now that I've done all of my trauma work, I'm in my healing process. I don't struggle with that as much anymore. We don't understand much about this yet, but it's only just in the last 10, 15 years that mental health and holistic health practitioners are starting to understand that our emotions, these psychosomatic reactions, repressed emotions can manifest as disease or autoimmune disorders. Another common experience of scapegoated children is that if you are even an adult now, it almost feels like it's all on you. If you have a good or bad relationship with your parents, it's up to you. You need to get in line. You need to change in order to make a good relationship with them. There's no changing on their end. Everything is your fault. If you were scapegoated, you also may have had your parents talk to other family members or other members of the community, and it almost feels like everybody knows that you are the mentally ill, crazy, bad kid. It's like a propaganda campaign has been made, and there's no way that you can escape this narrative that your parents have created about you. Maybe you even tried to seek help and engage maybe your other, what you thought was the safer parent. You tried to get their help. Maybe you tried to seek help from an extended family member or someone at school and the scapegoating family member denied their behavior and reinforced this negative story about you, that you were crazy, that you were lying, that you were seeking attention. And then the parent is believed, further reinforcing this pattern that you can really see How this becomes so psychologically damaging and it whittles away at your sense of agency and your sense of self over time. You might have also found yourself as the one who is labeled in mental health profession as treatment resistant or the difficult client, or maybe you've even been fired from therapy or therapy programs because you're just too difficult. This is a very common occurrence for scapegoated people especially if you've ended up with some kind of label like borderline personality disorder which is seen with a high amount of stigma in the mental health field you are flagged if you have a BPD diagnosis you are flagged as manipulative and difficult in psychiatric facilities which even perpetuates this scapegoating abuse even more This one's even harder maybe You have overcome so much of what you went through as a kid and you've managed to get yourself a really good job or you just feel accomplished in your field. You've made something of yourself, but it always seems like when you go back home to your parents, to your family, you are somehow a fake and that you've only managed to get this level of recognition by somehow fooling everyone. And this is a huge Part of the reason why many people who are in the family scapegoat role struggle with deep, deep feelings of imposter syndrome. You may have also felt like you needed to cut off members of your family, which may have resulted in your parents or caregivers telling other extended members of the family again how bad and horrible you are without knowing how Difficult this decision was for you to make. And this again just continues that perpetual cycle of you being the bad one, you being the difficult one, and you being the black sheep, the outcast, the scapegoated one. And it allows the dysfunctional family system to continue on. Everyone can keep up the pretense that there's not deep, dysfunctional, systemic issues that need to be addressed, it's much easier to project it all onto the trash can person of the family, which is the scapegoat. If you endured this psycho-emotional abuse of inhabiting the scapegoat role in your dysfunctional family system, you might experience grief, particularly something called disenfranchised grief. Disenfranchised grief refers to a type of grief that is not openly recognized, validated, or supported by societal norms, institutions, or even individuals close to the person experiencing the grief. So, disenfranchised grief happens when the loss we're grieving isn't considered legitimate or worthy of mourning. And this is most often due to its unconventional nature or the relationship between the griever and the thing that they're grieving. So this kind of grief can be particularly challenging because it lacks the social and emotional support that typically comes with accepted forms of grief. Like for example, if your mom dies, everyone's going to understand, wow, that's horrible. They're going to understand why you're grieving so much with other forms of abuse, like very, very covert types of abuse, like emotional abuse and neglect or scapegoating, this is how disenfranchised grief comes into play because some people are just not going to understand that. Dr. Kenneth J. Doka is a renowned grief expert and author, and he introduced the concept of disenfranchised grief he developed this term to highlight the ways in which certain losses and grieving experiences are marginalized, overlooked, and invalidated by society. And Doka's work in the field of grief and bereavement has been instrumental in shedding light on the diverse ways in which we experience grief and the impact of societal attitudes on the grieving and process of really digesting loss of all kinds. Disenfranchised grief has a very special relationship in the context of being labeled with the scapegoat role in a dysfunctional family system. If you are scapegoated in your family, you are likely to be experiencing disenfranchised grief because you're experiencing grief for the loss that you endured, that wasn't openly acknowledged and validated by other people and your family, if you are in the scapegoat role, you are facing emotional pain, loss, and suffering due to the circumstances within that family system, but you may experience disenfranchised grief because this grief, this very special flavor of grief, is so often ignored, minimized, and invalidated by family members, but as I mentioned before, not just members of your own family, but by society and even therapists that you might see. And the disenfranchised nature of this grief, the invalidation that can come with it, can only intensify the emotional distress and isolation that you experience as someone who's already been scapegoated. I want to go through the things that you are worthy of grieving as having inhabited this scapegoat role in your family. And hearing me say this, this might be the very first time that you have felt validated in feeling these losses. And as I go through them, I want you to know your pain is real. These things that you lost are worthy of grieving, these things that you lost were your birthright that you didn't have access to. So here are some of the ways that disenfranchised grief might manifest in the context of this scapegoat role. First, it's the loss of family connection that you will feel that grief for. As a scapegoated person, we long for genuine connection and acceptance and love from our family. It's natural, but the role that we are assigned as scapegoats often prevents us from experiencing this love and acceptance and connection. And it is normal that you would feel a profound sense of loss and longing for that love, acceptance, and connection. And it's okay for you to grieve that. And it's actually necessary. Something else that you will want to grieve is a loss of identity. And it's a symptom of BPD, right? Is a confusion about your identity. You talk about this all the time, but it's not often talked about in the context of the scapegoat. You have had to deal with so much negative behavior, so many different narratives and stories being told about you, projected traits that have been projected onto you by your parents that didn't reflect who you truly were. So it makes perfect sense that chronic scapegoating abuse over time would contribute to you losing touch with your authentic identity as you really struggle to mold this identity that's been assigned to you by parents who are just projecting their own shit back onto you. Next, you might be dealing with a loss of self-esteem. Enduring constant blame criticism and invalidation over time can erode a scapegoated person's self-esteem and self-worth and this leads you feeling devalued, unimportant, and this leads to deep feelings of grief over the loss of the positive self-image that I mentioned was your birthright but was denied to you. You'll also experience disenfranchised grief likely over the loss of trust Because dysfunctional family dynamics lead to a breakdown of trust within relationships. As a scapegoated person, you will likely be grieving the lack of trust and security that should naturally exist within a family. And it makes perfect sense that if you couldn't even trust your own caregivers, how can you trust someone that you love, a partner that isn't even your family? you're also going to have to grieve the loss of unconditional love. Many, many people grow up expecting unconditional love and support from their families. That's what you see. You're surrounded by it. And so as a scapegoated individual, if you didn't receive this unconditional love from your caregivers, you are going to have to grieve the absence of this very basic primal emotional need being met that you deserved to have met as a child. Something else you're going to have to be grieving is these feelings of longing and companionship because scapegoated people feel isolated from their family. And because of this, It can be really hard to form healthy connections outside of their family because of these internalized beliefs that you've developed about yourselves with the help of the projections of your caregivers. And so this results in loneliness and those feelings of grief and longing for companionship. It feels like you just can't reach it. You can't touch it. It's something you so desperately want, but you don't know how to achieve it. Something else that is a massive cause of this disenfranchised grief of scapegoated individuals is of the unresolved and repressed emotions. If you were in the scapegoat role in your family, you likely have a massive accumulation of unacknowledged and invalidated feelings of anger, sadness, and frustration and grief. And they are just longing for proper emotional release because. They have been denied, and just as prominent trauma therapist Bessel van der Kolk says in his book, the body keeps the score. These feelings are trapped in your body and they are longing for expression. Disenfranchised grief is often referred to as invisible because the external world doesn't recognize the extent of the pain and suffering that you're enduring, and this just deepens our sense of alienation and isolation. Addressing disenfranchised grief involves acknowledging and validating our own feelings, finding spaces where we can healthily express these emotions, whether that be primal screaming into a pillow in your car, my favorite. Punching something, you know, not someone. (laughs) Um, Finding ways to write letters to these people that you want to express everything you can, ripping them up and burning them, ritualizing the release of this, creating artwork out of it. I've read somewhere and I can't remember where, but underneath a lot of this grief, don't be surprised if you feel that the next thing that comes up is deep rage. And the best way to channel rage is through creativity, through writing, painting, uh, singing, anything. And nobody needs to see your creative work if you don't want them to. You don't have to share it with the world. We're in a state right now where everyone feels like they have to be content creators. I know that the irony of this is I talk about on my own podcast, but I make a lot of art, I do a lot of expressing that no one ever sees, and that's the most healing part because I can do it no holds barred. I can really let out all of my anger. Somatic experiencing is incredibly important for anyone who is in the family scapegoat role. I have found deep healing in the work of Peter Levine. He is a renowned trauma expert and the creator of Somatic Experiencing. If you're interested in looking to into his work, I highly recommend reading the book Waking the Tiger Healing Trauma by Peter Levine. You can find a qualified somatic experiencing practitioner, The Real Deal, by going to traumahealing.org. This is the official Somatic Experiencing International website, and you can find a therapist. You can even reach out to them from their contact page if you want to find someone that might be willing to work with you on a sliding scale. Reach out. Somatic experiencing has been the most life changing thing that I have ever gone through. And anyone who has experienced these kinds of things that resonates with this episode and this series or the Toxic Shame series. I can't recommend Peter Levine's work and traumahealing.org enough. The disenfranchised grief that you are enduring from being in this scapegoat role, it's really common for those of us who went through this to feel really numb and dissociated from our feelings. It's also really common for individuals who have fallen into the family scapegoat role to find themselves in these like narc abuse subreddits. And the thing is, for a while, these kind of subreddit communities, similar to BPD subreddits, they can be very validating. You can finally find this validation that you've been longing for. But the problem is, is with these communities, you'll find often that the majority of people, I'm not being black and white here, but the majority of people are really just stuck in their anger and they almost want to project all of their issues onto their quote-unquote narc abuser And you're not really getting into these deep healing conversations about loss and grief and really diving into the actual experience of being scapegoated. This is why I don't find these online communities to be very helpful. It can just be a projection fest. And look, the people that abused you, people who scapegoated you in your family system, it doesn't make what they did right but focusing on them and armchair diagnosing them and becoming experts at narc abuse rhetoric is not going to do anything for our healing. There's nothing wrong with finding community and connection in these places and finally kind of taking the baby steps in your recovery. But if you're serious about recovering, you will find if you're anything like me and other people I've spoken to that have walked this path, you'll eventually start finding that those communities can keep you stuck and don't allow for you to move through your own grieving process in an individual and unique way to you and moving forward. Moving forward does not necessarily mean condoning the actions. It doesn't even mean that you have to have contact with your family unit, but it does mean moving forward and processing th- these things And no longer becoming preoccupied with it to the point where these people that abused you and projected their shit onto you, they're still ruling your everyday life. There are many people that have gone no contact with their family, but still are being unconsciously ruled by that abuse because they can't stop focusing on it in a way where they're active in these narcissistic abuse communities and they're becoming completely identified with it. It stops you from being able to move on. When we experience such serious injustice as children over time and then move on, if you're anything like me as well, that experienced really just cultural and systemic injustice where you experienced multiple instances of being objectified, groomed and abused Um, as was my experience and then sexually harassed and objectified in places of work and when I tried to break into the music industry, it's almost like I could not escape it. It's so normal for you to feel deep anger about these injustices. It is so, so normal and it also shows that you are a caring, loving person that wants to fight for what's right. But anger is powerful And it is so, so easy for us to get stuck in these feelings. And it's important for us to find a pathway through that anger. And many of us who inhabited this scapegoat role, it can feel even as adults, like there's no way out. There's no way of resolving things or ending this mistreatment that you might still be receiving from your family. And this is when I want you to think about another concept called the double bind. Double bind is another and more academic way of putting damned if you do, damned if you don't. If you're scapegoated, it can really feel like it fucking sucks if you still remain in contact with your family and it fucking sucks if you go no contact. It is the most painful feeling ever. This whole thing is really complicated and it is just deeply painful because it's very very likely that people in your family and your extended family will not understand why you've chosen to go no contact. This also results often in a loss of community and connections that you have. Maybe your parent or caregiver, it will feel like you they're making an ultimatum and getting other people on their side, which means that you're losing other people that you love. And the really painful part, it's that disenfranchised grief that comes with this. You're not being recognized as grieving something. You're actually being looked at as the cause of all the problems. Yet again, you're being blamed and judged and attacked for making this decision. Like, really, your family loves you. Do you really have to do this to your family? This kind of thing. You're not being acknowledged at all of how hard this is for you and that you are trying to heal. It's common for individuals who inhabit the scapegoating role to feel a sense of what's called righteous anger, righteous rage. It's because the people that were supposed to love and care for you the most is not acknowledging their harmful and sometimes abusive acts towards you will outright deny them, refuse to apologize for them. And this is what really leads to that sense of deep fucking anger that is so hard for anyone else who has not been in this exact experience to understand. This is all made worse by the fact that even when you try to explain this, this feeling of disenfranchised grief that you're experiencing, when you try to tell someone about why you feel like you were the scapegoat, It is so common for it to be even difficult to describe to someone because of its insidious and covert nature. So it's super common for anyone who inhabited this scapegoat role and other types of survivors of abuse to experience what we discussed in our last series, which is this toxic shame but toxic shame that is completely unconscious. So it means that instead of even knowing what's going on, knowing that you were scapegoated, you just are walking around feeling like your life and you are a hot fucking mess, that you are broken, defective, unworthy of love. You don't deserve comfort. You don't deserve respect, consideration. And so therefore you further isolate yourself and confirm to yourself that the world is a bad place full of bad people. This is the devastating result of toxic shame and inhabiting the scapegoat role in a dysfunctional family system. So, everyone, that's it for the free portion of Back from the Borderline. Out of all the things you could spend your time on, out of the zillions of content options available, you chose to be here with me. But more importantly, you chose to show up for you. Next up, you're going to be hearing the back half of the episode which is available only to my paying subscribers but if you're tuning in from the public back from the borderline feed you will get to hear a preview lucky you it will fade out after part of it and then if you'd like to unlock the full episode as well as hundreds of hours of bonus content you can choose to become a premium submarine i have two different tiers on my patreon feed and you can select which one is best for you. The first one is just full episodes and bonus content, and the slightly more expensive tier, you also unlock access to my private voice notes, which I also release throughout the week. To sign up today, check out the link in the episode description or visit backfromtheborderline.com. On the next episode we're going to be talking about the different stages of grief as it relates to recovering from scapegoating abuse we're going to be diving into the process of healing and how to better understand how scapegoating actually ties into symptoms of cptsd so if you're interested in that make sure that you come back next week if you're not already following the podcast follow back from the borderline on your favorite podcast app to make sure you are alerted every time I drop a new episode. So without further ado, let's jump straight in to the premium portion of the podcast. All right, everyone, we have a ton of voicemails to get through And so I thought for this episode, we would tackle some of those. So let's hear from our first listener.
6: Hi, Molly. My name is Molly with a Y. I am 33 years old, a premium subscriber, and I live in South Florida. I'm so grateful for your work. Uh, You have helped me so very much. I had a formal diagnosis in 2013. I have since done the deep, deep, deep inner work um, and no longer identify with a lot of the symptoms and behaviors of BPD. However, I find myself in a long-term relationship of seven years with a man who has BPD um, or a lot of the behaviors and symptoms and also ADHD. And um, I would say most of the time, our relationship is really healthy and nourishing and beautiful and profound. And then other times he will have um splitting episodes at me like he needs someone or something to blame and i just wonder as much as i try to avoid that and try to just be the safety and the support um where do you go from there how do you continue to support and encourage someone to do their own inner work um you know which he's willing to do most of the time but lacks consistency um So we're still having these things pop up and I'm scared that it's not going to ever be any different. And I just wonder like how, how I be, how can I best, you know, what would you do in a situation like this or what do you think um, or how does it make you feel?
0: Hi, Molly. Love a fellow Molly. I'm Molly with an IE. You're Molly with the Y. I'm also 33. So it's just really cool hearing from another 33 year old Molly. This is tough. You've been with this person for a really long time. And it's likely that the two of you have probably trauma bonded pretty good. And you were probably both together when both of you were in your most unhealed space. And it gets really tricky when one partner in a relationship, which it's inevitable, people heal and have their rock bottom moments and their aha moments at different times. And since you're calling into my podcast, I'm giving you big sister advice for you. I'm approaching this from the perspective of, you know, speaking to you and not to your partner. I might give him very different advice if I heard his side of the story and where he's at with things. But from what you've shared with me, it sounds like there's a lot of high highs and then there's a lot of low lows. And you will have to decide Whether or not this relationship is going to be something that you could endure long-term. If things stayed exactly the same as they were now, is this what you want for your entire life? You have to ask yourself that. And I'm asking that to you now. If things stayed the same, would you be happy with things exactly as they are? What comes up for you when I say that? If not, you know, for me personally, I don't think I could be okay long-term with someone who is still actively losing their shit, splitting on me. And like you said, having episodes at you, right? Because I'm in a relationship now, me and Zaz, things are not perfect. We get into arguments sometimes, but he is not splitting at me right we kind of may, we might both lose our cool but then we can very quickly come back to center and talk things together as a partnership and i'm by no means holding zaz and i up as like the perfect relationship on any kind of pedestal because everybody's different but i just know that it's really really hard to heal when you are trauma bonded with someone and when you might be just kind of sticking around and repeating negative patterns and this is going to really come down to what you're willing to put up with and you said that he's lacking consistency right he wants to work on his stuff but if you're shouldering the burden and you feel like you're doing all of your inner work and he is just sort of phoning it in that imbalance is going to end up really probably creating a lot of resentment for you. I know it would for me. And you're going to have to make a decision whether or not you want to be around with the relationship going like it is, because here's the sad reality. Some people never change. Some people never get to the point where they're willing to do the inner work to really, really own up to their shit and face this stuff. And I don't know what kind of conversations you've had with your partner, whether you've sat him down and said like, if this doesn't change, then I don't know if I can do this long-term. I don't know what kind of conversations you've had, but you have to decide what you are willing to put up with, what you're not willing to put up with, and probably overcome a fear of being alone if he can't give that to you. And I really understand that because I came out of a long-term relationship and then which was then a failed marriage and my entire life blew up when I was in my late 20s and it's never too late to walk away from something that's not working and try to find your own footing and sometimes endings don't have to be forever maybe some space is required to where he can focus on himself but what I'm hearing in your voice is that I'm hearing the vibe of like, you don't want to deal with it if it's like this. And so I guess I want to know what kind of conversations you've had with him about that. Have you laid out those boundaries? Have you spoken to your therapist about this relationship and what it might look like of having a conversation with him, of really telling him, you know, I I can't put up with these instances of being split at because you don't deserve that, you know? A healthy adult relationship... People do not lose their shit on each other like that. And so many of us put up with such childish, hurtful behavior from partners when we don't have to. And you, Molly, might be a long-term listener of the podcast and know that Zaz had to give me an ultimatum, right? I was doing this. I was acting out out of my trauma and he had to give me that if this doesn't change, like I have to prioritize myself. I can't feel safe in this relationship of sharing my needs and my wants if it's all about the Molly Trauma Show. And that was hard. I did not take it well to begin with, but it is part of the catalyst of what encouraged me to seek out therapy and then eventually start this podcast. You probably already know this because you've embarked on your own journey of self-discovery and healing, but... Your partner's splitting behavior is likely indicative of deep unresolved inner conflicts and emotional struggles within himself. And these kind of splits, right, this tendency to love you one minute and then you're the problem the next minute, this represents a disintegration of his psyche where different aspects of himself are at odds with one another and this inner conflict is what's manifesting in his external behavior which is causing these really extreme highs and lows that you've described. Healthy relationships are actually what many traumatized people see as quite boring because boring to us is actually just safety and predictability. And I've had to really get over that. There's no more extreme highs and lows and crazy passions now because I found myself finally in a safe... All right, everyone, you know what that means. That is it for the free version of Back From The Borderline. The full version of this episode includes the last of my advice to Paige. We talk a lot more about how to stop seeking out these up and down trauma bonded relationships. And then I provide her just with a little bit more advice about how I think she can move forward. And then we take another voicemail from a listener named Paige who is struggling with setting boundaries with herself with keeping her word to herself as she recovers from addiction and we really talk about how we can use parts work from family systems therapy as well as the work of john bradshaw of healing the wounded inner child and how we can approach that in learning how to honor our word become our own good enough inner parent and i go into detail in that So if you'd like to unlock the full version of this episode, as well as hundreds of hours of bonus content, you can go to backfromtheborderline.com or click the link in the episode description to become a premium submarine today. Not only do my premium submarines get tons of additional premium content each month, the support of my subscribers allows me to focus on podcasting full-time and invest more in research and production quality to keep this podcast going for you. Next week, we will be diving into the final episode of our Scapegoat series, so I'll look forward to delivering that to you next week. But for now, if you're not going to become a premium submarine, you can support my work by rating the podcast, writing a review, or sharing this episode with somebody that you care about. Never forget, you haven't met all of you yet. Within your weakness, your inner chaos, and disorder lies your greatest strength. Anyone even you can come back from the borderline. See you next Tuesday.
1: Hold up. What was that?